You are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women rediscover a migraine-free life. Today, I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about whether or not leaky gut is causing your migraines. Welcome, Mary. How are you? Good, thank you. How's it going? (laughs) Very well. So today, we're going to talk about leaky gut. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, this is one of those topics that is a full-on mystery to me. Like, I hear the words leaky gut frequently, and I'm like, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> so, uh huh. Yeah, leaky gut, right? Yeah, I'm going to be learning a lot right along with everyone else listening. So, awesome. Well, it's funny when I got help for my migraines like 25 years ago, a chiropractor helped me and he talked a lot about leaky gut with me 25 years ago. So, this is a concept in the alternative medicine sphere, if you will, in the alternative medicine area that's been around for a long time. 25 years ago, it was really out there. Not very many people, even within the natural medicine sphere, were talking about it. But now, 25 years later, you hear quite a bit more about it. I know that there's been some discussion about this in our free Facebook group, Healing Migraines Naturally. When I feel like some of the MLM products I've heard about address leaky gut. Am I off there? I feel like that's where I hear of it. I'm interesting that you say that. Yeah. Well, I think that definitely over the past 25 years, within conventional medicine, they are recognizing a lot more that our digestive tract plays a role in our health. (laughs) And I laugh because this, you know, to me, this is like a no brainer, (laughs) no brainer thing. But in conventional medicine for a long time, even gastroenterologists, which are conventional medical doctors that specialize in digestive disorders. For a long time, even gastroenterologists denied that the proper function of your digestive tract had any impact on any other aspect of your body or your health, which is kind of ridiculous. It's interesting, like how compartmentalized we are. Like we talked about in another episode, like mind and body being two separate entities. And here we are talking about organs being completely separate entities. Right, almost as if they're not even in the body, in the same body. Another thing I find really interesting now is how much people are talking about mental health and how that ties to your gut. And that kind of just blows my mind. I'm not going to lie. Like, you don't think that there's little things going on in your digestive system that are affecting your mental health. So I find that interesting. Yeah, I would say, gosh, Probably 15, 20 years ago, conventional medicine started recognizing the fact that the neurotransmitters that our digestive tract generates play a role in our mental health or our mental experience, our mental and emotional experience. So for a long time, they knew that the digestive tract generates neurotransmitters. In fact, our digestive tract generates more neurotransmitters than our brain does. But again, this was kind of dismissed. And I would say about 15, 20 years ago, people started calling the gut the second brain because they started to recognize the impact that the neurotransmitters that that the digestive tract makes plays an impact in our brain as well, which again, crazy, interesting. Why wouldn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So take me back to square one, because like I said, I'm going to be learning everything along with everyone else. What exactly is leaky gut and what does it have to do with or not have to do with migraines? Like take me to square one. (laughs) Sure. So let's start with what is leaky gut? And then as I explain this, I also want to pull in the three principles that I always talk about that are required to restore our health and maintain our health. Because those three principles that I always talk about, those apply in this discussion of leaky gut. So leaky gut is not an official medical diagnosis. So there's, you know, you're not going to be quote unquote diagnosed with leaky gut, but it is a a name of a sort of a breakdown that happens within the digestive tract, mostly within the small intestine. 
Okay, so is it more of a descriptor, like more of a way to describe what's happening rather than a, a diagnosis? Is mm-hmm. that? Yeah, you could say that. You could say that. And even the name leaky gut, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek almost. It's not, you know, something weighty like a, the name of a typical conventional medical diagnosis. I'm over here going, that doesn't sound Latin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, If you think of, again, I'm going to focus on the small intestine because this is mostly happening in the small intestine. So the cells that line our digestive tract are the same type of cells that our skin is made out of. So if you, like right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at my arm, my forearm. So, you know, when we look at our skin, the skin forms a barrier between us and the outside world. Not that things aren't absorbed through the skin, but if I put a drop of water on my skin, it's really going to sit there. The skin forms a barrier between the outside world and me. And so when our skin is healthy, those types of cells, which are called epithelial cells, those epithelial cells, when they are healthy, they are very close together. They are butted up against each other really tightly. And that forms that barrier between the outside world and us. They are called tight junctions. If you open up a histology textbook or a physiology textbook, they're called tight junctions between those cells. Now, if the skin is not healthy, what can happen to the skin? Well, you know, people can get, say, eczema. So eczema, when you have eczema, you get little cracks in your skin, right? You might even have some weeping of some serous fluid out of those sores, those cells are not tightly butted up against each other anymore. They're kind of leaky. And so when that happens, we're not going to have that tight barrier between the outside world and us. So those same type of cells line our entire digestive tract. Okay. But again, particularly in the small intestine, you want those cells to be tightly butted up against each other. Another fascinating thing is that we have a hole through the middle of us that is actually outside of us. <laughs> That's so true. Isn't that crazy? So what we call our digestive tract, that tube, you know, starting in the mouth, esophagus, all runs all the way through us, the intestines, that is like a donut hole all the way through us that's actually outside of us. It's crazy. (laughs) So when we put food in there, those cells should be like our skin cells. They should be really, really tightly butted up against each other so that there's some control. Okay, what's going to come into the body and what's going to stay outside of the body? So when we have leaky gut, what happens is Those cells that are in the small intestine, they are not tightly butted up against each other. The tight junctions become weak. And so instead of like a brick, brick and mortar there in the small intestine, you know, we, it's kind of fallen apart. There's cracks in that. And so when you have leaky gut, what will happen is you will have partially undigested food leaking out into the portal veins, the blood vessels that drain the digestive tract. So what's supposed to happen is that our food is supposed to be fully broken down. Now you can imagine you take a bite of food, you eat a meal for 20 minutes. As that food moves through the digestive tract, some of it is going to be more digested, more broken down than other bites. The bites that you ate first are going to be more broken down 20 minutes later than the ones that you just ate. So it's the job of those tight junctions to keep out what isn't digested yet and only let through the things that are digested. The other thing that I did not know until I went to naturopathic medical school is that things are not just kind of absorbed into the bloodstream from the digestive tract. Most nutrients are actually transported from the hole, from the donut hole, into the body. There are some things that diffuse into us, into the bloodstream, but a lot of things are actively transported, kind of selectively transported. And so those cells that line the digestive tract, they have to be functioning properly. They don't just let everything in. There's a selectivity going on there. There's a a gatekeeper. 
kind of. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. You know, so if we have a digestive tract that's not functioning properly, one, it's going to be harder to break the food down into its nutrients. And then we can have this leaking phenomenon where undigested food, you know, if you eat a piece of chicken, your digestive tract should break that down into amino acids and only the amino acids get moved into the body. The little tiny chicken molecules, they're supposed to stay in that donut hole until they've been broken down into amino acids. We're not supposed to have little pieces of chicken <laughs> leaking into our bloodstream. You should see my face. I'm like really fully grossed out right now. <laughs> gross. <laughs> yeah. So that is leaky gut in a nutshell. When when we say leaky gut, we're describing this situation where the tight junctions of those cells in the small intestine have been interrupted or, you know, the cells don't have what they need to maintain those tight junctions. And so then we're allowing undigested food to leak in to the bloodstream. Okay. So you just said something interesting that made me go, wait a minute. So how did they get to be like, how did the gatekeeper get lazy here? Okay, great. (laughs) Start to fall apart and to stop working as well as they were. Right. Yes. Very good question. So this is where those three principles that are required to maintain and restore our health come into play. So again, if you're uh, new to the podcast, let me refresh everybody's memory on this. So there are three things that we need or have to be in place in order to maintain our health or restore our health. Now, when I say health, I can mean health on all different levels. I can mean my health as a whole person, body, mind, spirit. I can mean health at a cellular level. So each individual cell requires these three principles for the cell to be functioning properly, for the cell to be in a state of health, for an organ or an organ system to be functioning properly or be in a state of health. These three principles, they scale. So they apply at the cellular level, organ level, organ system level, and at the whole body, mind, body, spirit level. So those three principles are principle number one, getting the nutrients to every cell in the body. Number two, clearing metabolic waste material. And number three, restoring resiliency and vitality. So we're going to take these three principles and we're going to apply them at the cellular level of those cells within the small intestine. So in order for the individual cells in our small intestine to maintain their physiology, maintain those tight junctions, to move things in and out of the cell in the the way that they are supposed to do, those small intestine cells have to have the nutrients that they need to function. That makes sense. When those small intestine cells do their work, they are going to generate metabolic waste material. All of our cells do this. The cells do their job and then there's waste material. That has to be removed from the cell. That's going to go out then into the bloodstream and ultimately be removed by the body, by the organs of detoxification and elimination. But first, you have to get those metabolic waste materials out of the cell. And then three, the cell has to have enough what I call vitality. So there is actually a measurable voltage within each cell. There has to be enough energy, enough voltage, enough vitality within the cell for it to do all of its various biochemistry and to move things in and out of the cell. There has to be adequate voltage within the cell too. So if you have a deficiency in one or more of those areas, then those cells of the small intestine, they're not going to be able to do their job properly. So first of all, where are we going to get the nutrients for these cells, for these small intestinal cells? Well, we've got to eat enough nutrients in our diet. Right. It seems like a catch-22. Like if you're not eating the right things, you're not going to absorb the right nutrients, but you can't absorb nutrients if your body's not functioning properly. Like, Are you chasing your tail a little bit or is that you just are. Yeah. yeah. And this is why so many people with migraines also have digestive issues when we've talked about this on other podcasts, because the only way we can get any 
anything into the body is through the digestive tract. And the digestive tract starts in the mouth. So if we start to have a breakdown in the digestive function, then we are going to start to get a backlog, a blocker, a deficiency within that first principle. Now, everything in the body runs on nutrients. So once we get a blocker in that first principle, now we're going to have even more downward spirals in the second principle and the third principle. So this is many times how it starts. This usually starts years and years before we're aware of anything. Most of us, when we were kids, were not eating a nutrient-rich diet, let alone as the years go on. So that can set off that downward spiral. The other thing that you have to consider too is the amount of metabolic waste material and toxins that the cells of the small intestine are exposed to. So I want to talk about the liver. So the liver is known as one of our organs of detoxification. So as our cells do their work and generate this metabolic waste material, as we are exposed to toxins in the environment, the liver is an organ of detoxification. The blood flows through the liver and it it goes through a process that's called detoxification of these metabolic waste materials, these waste materials and toxins. And then when those molecules are modified in the process of detoxification, the liver will then kind of package them up and put them in our bile so that they can be eliminated from the body. So the liver makes bile. The liver puts these processed toxins in the bile. Now, even though they're processed, they're still toxic. Okay. They're just a little less toxic. I just have to ask really quick because gallbladders are kind of a fascinating little mystery to me. Do migraine sufferers often have gallbladder problems as well? Well, so I wouldn't say you could have many people may have gallbladder irritation that's never diagnosed. I've had a fair number of clients that have had to have their gallbladder removed prior to me working with them. It's definitely a factor for a lot of women with migraines, but I I would say much more universal is just any sort of digestive tract problem. Got it. And like it sounds more complicated than A equals, you know, A plus B equals C, but. Yeah, for sure. But definitely the overall digestive problems. So the bile is stored in the gallbladder. So why is the bile stored in the gallbladder? Well, the other purpose of the bile is to help with the digestion of the fats that we've eaten. When that fat enters the small intestine, that signals the gallbladder to squeeze out the bile that it has been storing from the liver. And then that bile emulsifies the fat that we've eaten in the meal and helps the digestive tract break it down into fatty acids. So what's happening here then is every time we eat, we are squirting this bile full of toxins into our small intestine. Yeah, you just blew my mind a little. I'm going to be losing sleep over this now. Like what is, I had no idea that bile was processed toxins that our body actually uses to process food again. Like that is what? (laughs) So this is sort of continuously bathing the small intestine and our colon, our large intestine, because it's going to make it down there too, in these toxic molecules. So that puts an additional burden on the cells of the small intestine. They're like right on the firing line. So if they're already struggling with their own metabolic waste material that they themselves are generating, and then every time we eat, we're squirting more on top of them, you can imagine how they're going to start to suffer. And then finally, again, we go back to this issue of voltage or vitality at the cellular level. The cells are not going to be able to maintain things like tight junctions if they don't have the voltage or the vitality at the cellular level. Interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like like we talked about before, like it's a domino effect and how we can think that all of these things are disconnected and their own entity is, it's kind of mind blowing that you would even think that. And- When you think about the burden that the liver is under in the modern environment, when you think about the amount of 
toxicity, if you will, in our bile in the modern environment. I mean, it's already toxic, even if we were living, you know, in a pristine environment somewhere on top of a mountain. But I don't know about you. I mean, you, you're living in a rural area. I'm in the heart of the Chicago suburbs, right? So, I'm, yeah, I, I'm about as uh, rustic as I can get without losing mine. <laughs> but, you know, even in rural areas, because of the pesticides and the herbicides used in agriculture, even in rural areas, people can be maybe even more exposed to toxins than maybe in an urban area or in an industrial city with the air pollution, you know, the scrubbers and everything else that we have now in place for the environment. You know, people in a rural environment, they might be more at risk. So, uh, and then the medications that we take have to be detoxified and add to that toxin load or toxic load within our bile. So you can appreciate, you know, our bodies are total miracles, but you can imagine just within a pretty short period of time, just within a few generations here, the load that we are now under, the additional amount of toxins in our bile that's continuously bathing our digestive tract now. It's, you know, it's it's no wonder that people have problems. And then you have other things like antibiotics interrupt digestive function. Many, many medications have digestive side effects. The new CGRP antagonist medications, because those CGRP molecules are used in the gut as well. So those have an effect. So our digestive tract, our gut is kind of under an onslaught. Right. And it doesn't sound like it takes very long before we're behind like the eight ball, so to speak. Correct. Absolutely. So then when you when this starts to you know degrade when the function starts to degrade like this and you have those little undigested food particles going into your bloodstream now what's going to happen well our immune system is going to say what's this foreign invader what's this foreign chicken molecule doing in here <laughs> and so then we're going to develop an immune system response to try to remove the quote unquote foreign invader which is really the chicken we had for dinner last night and so when the immune system gets involved then we can have what are called food sensitivity symptoms it's kind of interesting too we're saying like I don't remember anybody talking about food allergies when I was growing up. And now it's like everyone's gluten-free, dairy-free. I've got celiac. I've got, it's really interesting how common that is right now. I remember when I was in elementary school, I went to an elementary school that didn't have like a hot cafeteria. And so the school lunches were cold, like sandwiches and stuff that they would bring in. And there was this peanut butter and jelly sandwich that they made that was sort of on like graham crackers. It wasn't on bread. It was sort of on like a graham cracker type thing with peanut butter and jelly on it. And then it was wrapped in foil. And this, like if they had any extras, all of us kids were like lined up to like, can I have an extra? Can I have an extra? Because we just thought these were the greatest thing. So, you know, when I was in elementary school, They were giving out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as the school lunch, okay? My daughter can't bring peanuts into the cafeteria. So you are hitting on something, right? And everybody goes around, oh, geez, I wonder why there's so many allergies, huh? Okay, you know, you you can't eat peanuts in a school lunchroom. You can't bring in our school has a food, uh, an approved food list because so many people have allergies. Well, uh, let's take a look at this. So there are two different types of immune responses. So there is one immune response that generates what is called a food allergy. And there's one type of an immune response that generates what is called a food sensitivity. So a food allergy, which you can absolutely recover from food allergies. I have colleagues that specialize in treating children with peanut allergies, and they turn that around and the child is not at risk of dying due to peanuts anymore. Okay, so this is absolutely possible. So food allergies are sort of the traditional allergy response. Oh, I ate strawberries and 15 minutes later, I have hives. It's that sort of immediate 
obvious response that can generate things like hives or worst case scenario anaphylaxis, right? These can be life-threatening. Those can be detected by a blood test. And these are the types of allergy tests that a conventional allergist would run. They used to do these with a skin prick test. When you and I were kids, that was probably, you know, I remember kids going in for skin prick tests. Now they can do that through blood testing. I have, I'm glad to hear, I've not been through that for eons, obviously. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad to hear they finally figured something better out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've never wanted to have my kids tested for anything because that sounds like a nightmare. So that is sort of the traditional allergy response. And then the food sensitivity response, this is generated by a different part of the immune system. When we have leaky gut and we have little chicken molecules leaking into our bloodstream and the immune system says, what's this chicken doing here? I better get this out of here. And so it will develop antibodies to the protein in that chicken and then attack anything that matches that protein signature. Now, the problem is we can have our own tissue in our body that looks a lot like chicken protein. And this is where our immune system can get confused and confuse the chicken protein that leaked into the bloodstream with maybe the tissue in our joints, maybe our thyroid gland. And this is where people develop autoimmune conditions because the immune system thinks that thinks that us is a foreign invader. Okay, and that can be kicked off by food sensitivities that were developed due to leaky gut. So are autoimmune system disorders, like, is that also on the rise? Yes, absolutely. Yes, 100%. So we can have these two different immune system responses. And with food sensitivity, there are specialty labs that do food sensitivity testing what they call food sensitivity testing. So what the allergist runs for an allergy test, that is conventional blood work. That's going to be covered by people's insurance. The, then there's a whole nother set of labs in the alternative medicine space called specialty labs. And it is in that arena where you would find what is called food sensitivity testing to look for the immune response from these little leaked food molecules. Now, the problem is that the testing via specialty labs is not very well regulated or quality controlled. And so I have had colleagues who have taken two samples of blood from themselves and put sort of like a pseudonym, a fake name on the samples and sent them into the same lab for quote unquote food sensitivity testing and gotten back different results. Oh my gosh, that's scary. So unfortunately, a lot of people are taking these food sensitivity tests from these specialty labs and the quality control is not there. That is kind of terrifying. It's, it's a real problem in the industry. And again, if you've been following the podcast, I have talked openly about the problems within the alternative medicine space. And I'm, Everybody, I'm going to ask you a, probably a dumb question, but knowing that you are fully licensed and your education is like top notch and everything, I'm assuming you know some labs that are more reputable or, I mean, not that you have to give them plugs, but like... <laughs> yes. Sure. Yes. There are definitely some labs that have better reputations than others. Absolutely. And then some labs do certain tests better than other tests. So I don't run food sensitivity testing and I will explain why, but within my you know network of colleagues, definitely the people who do run that testing that I know of, they will say, well, this lab is more accurate. They have done kind of the blind testing. You know, they have done their own due diligence, that they feel satisfied that it's reasonably accurate. But I mean, this just kind of boils down to like, I mean, people need a guide who is credible and, you know, knows what they're doing in this entire system to navigate this. Like just sending samples into random places is not going to help them, right? Correct. And this is all marketed direct to consumer now. So if you Google food sensitivity testing, you're going to get a ton of labs in your Google results. You're going to get a ton of labs telling you we do food sensitivity testing. And so you can order this yourself. Many people do. 
But then are the results that you're getting, are they in any way accurate? That would be number one. Number two, you're going to pay out of pocket. And then number three, the test, the food sensitivity testing is not actually testing food sensitivities. And this is a big misunderstanding that even practitioners in the alternative medicine space don't understand. So I really want to talk about this aspect too. So again, when you understand what's going on, you can understand why this is not actually a food sensitivity test, even though that's what it's called. And that's how most practitioners interpret the results. So over and over again, what happens when somebody has leaky gut and they take a food sensitivity test, which again, it's marketed to them to say, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to take a blood sample and it's going to, we're the lab is going to run you know, run it through. And then we're going to get a list of foods that you are sensitive to and should not eat. That's how it's marketed to people. So what happens when people have leaky gut is all of the food that they eat comes back positive on the test. Why wouldn't it? (laughs) So basically you're allergic to everything you currently eat and you need to stop. Correct. This is what happens over and over and over again. But again, it's not called a leaky gut test. It's called a food sensitivity test. So you're saying like, of course, it's showing up on there as a red flag because your gut is getting leaky. So everything's out of out of whack, like kind of. (laughs) Mary, you understand this better than 95% of alternative medicine practitioners. Uh, And I'm so eloquent when I say it. So yes, right? When you understand the physiology of what's going on here, then you realize what the test is actually doing. And so inevitably what happens, and again, this ties into food triggers and migraine sufferers, which we did a fantastic podcast on food triggers. I believe it was episode four. If you haven't listened to that, please check it out. It really dovetails into this discussion. But because those of us that are prone to migraines, we are one, we're being told by doctors to focus on food and obsess over food triggers. And then two, you know, we eat three times a day, sometimes more. And so when a migraine comes on an hour after we eat something, which is highly likely, we blame the food, right? Because it's the last thing we did. So people are being told, oh, well, we're going to take a food sensitivity test. We're going to get a list of food you're sensitive to, food that you shouldn't eat, and this is going to help your migraines. This is how it's being marketed to migraine sufferers, right? And so, of course, a migraine sufferer is going to, you know, rather than keeping a diet diary and trying to analyze, right, because we all know you can do a diet diary and try to figure out your food triggers and your you're really not going to figure it out unless you have something like super obvious, like you eat a tomato and 15 minutes later you get a migraine. But most people don't have that kind of response, right? So you've driven yourself crazy for a year doing a diet diary and tracking your migraines and trying to correlate that to what you're eating. And then somebody comes along and says, let's just take a blood sample and we'll get a list of food. Oh, thank goodness, right? I mean, people jump on this. So inevitably, what comes back is a list of, you know, clients that have had this run. This is what they say to me all the time. Everything, all my favorite foods came back on the list, right? And they're like devastated, right? Well, of course, because we eat our favorite foods the most. (laughs) There's a reason for that. Right, exactly. So if we're not digesting you know, the chicken and the broccoli fully and little pieces of chicken and broccoli are leaking out into our bloodstream. And then our immune system is saying, what is this foreign invader doing? Of course, chicken and broccoli is going to come up on a food sensitivity test. Why wouldn't it? And so people go, oh my goodness, this is all my favorite food. And then the practitioner who ordered it, unfortunately, doesn't know how to interpret the test correctly. They think that it's a food sensitivity test. And so then they tell the patient, okay, don't eat chicken, don't eat broccoli, don't eat almonds, don't, you know, all the food that they were eating. They say, well, you can't eat that food. You're sensitive to it. And so then the person goes, oh my goodness, what am I going to eat? This is all my favorite food. And then they go, well, I guess, you know, whatever it takes to get rid of my migraine. So then they revamp their entire diet. They're choking down Brussels sprouts instead of broccoli that they don't like. And then six months later, you know, they're really not feeling any different. Six months later, they get another test. And now it's broccoli and beef or, you know, Brussels sprouts and beef instead of chicken and broccoli right? And then they go, oh my goodness, I can't eat this now. And literally I have had clients that have gone through this and they have come to me literally eating five to 10 things. That's it. 
Which I know I've heard you say multiple times that when you start looking for food triggers, the list just ends up getting longer and longer and you become obsessed. And the bottom line is like, nobody should have to live like that. Nobody wants to live like that. We've been eating chicken and broccoli forever. (laughs) I know, but just the thought, I mean, that's like the diet prescribed thing. And then like, nobody wants to eat chicken and broccoli alone, like forever. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But when it's coming up on a food sensitivity test, it's not the chicken and the broccoli. Like what's wrong with chicken and broccoli, right? There's nothing wrong with eating chicken and broccoli. So, or almonds or, you know, coconut or whatever it is, right? People that use a lot of (laughs) coconut oil in their cooking, well, then coconut comes back on the food sensitivity test. Well, of course it does. So the practitioner, the alternative medicine practitioner, because conventional medical doctors, they're not going to run this type of stuff. So the alternative medicine practitioner that's running the food sensitivity test, they do not know how to interpret the test correctly. And then they misguide the patient as a result and put people through even more, you know, hassle and pain and suffering. So a food sensitivity test, like I say, it should be called a leaky gut test. That's what it should be called. Because when you have the immune response that's generated by undigested food particles in your bloodstream, that is due to leaky gut. It's not due to somehow you are some sort of strange person who can't eat chicken or coconut. It is not not because of that. It's because of your digestive function. That's where the problem is coming from. So the answer to all of this is to restore the health of those little cells that line our small intestine. So is this a good place to ask the black and white question? Is my leaky gut causing my migraines? Yes. (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm saying yes, that's a great question. So how do we answer this question? Because again, these three principles are at play at the cellular level, the organ level, and the entire body, mind, body, spirit level. So we're saying leaky gut is a major contributing factor, but just eliminating that one piece is not going to take care of the whole problem. Well, and one thing that my clients have told me, like going through this process, particularly the assessment process that I do with new clients, And in that assessment process, what we do is identify, okay, where are the missing pieces or blockers for you within these three principles? And when we do that, we get so much clarity as to what's going on because the migraines are there because we don't have enough nutrients going to every cell in the body. There is an accumulation of metabolic waste material and toxins and we have lowered resiliency and vitality. That's why the migraines are there. And you can see that, you can see those deficiencies playing out throughout the whole aspect of someone. You can see it playing out at the cellular level within the small intestine. You know, if they if they say, yeah, you know, six months ago, I had this food sensitivity test done. Can you, re- I'll, I'll review it as part of their assessment. Yeah, 20 things came back. Okay, we have those missing pieces within those three principles at the cellular level of their small intestine. That's what the lab tells me. So it's kind of like you read a food sensitivity test and instead of going, oh yeah, you're allergic to 20 things, you say, is your gut leaky or not? A or B, like simple or not, right? And so- We know that we have an issue at the cellular level, but then too, if we cannot digest the food properly, that's going to trickle down to other organ systems because every organ system, every organ, every cell has to have the nutrients that it needs. So migraines, like I had one client very insightfully tell me, she said, I thought my problem was the migraines, but now I'm realizing the migraines are like a second or third level problem. We develop much more foundational issues within these three principles. First, you know, migraines are a very, very complex cascade of symptoms that involve multiple organ systems. And we still don't know the physiology of migraines. I mean, they still don't know how they are kicked off, the physiology behind migraines. So they are extremely complex. So to say, oh, it's, you know, first of all, to say, well, it's one thing that's causing this extremely complex cascade of symptoms that affects multiple organ systems. 
that's not true, number one. And then we can see, I think it's when we start looking at things from the perspective of these three universal principles, then we can understand how, you know, how do we get here? Why is all of this happening? And so what we do is we work on these three principles. We start kind of filling in the gaps or the holes or the missing pieces within these three principles. And then the second and third order syndromes or symptoms like migraines, those start to improve as well. But you're not going to get anywhere if at the cellular level of your digestive tract, those little cells don't have what they need, right? You're not going to get anywhere. So I think part of the issue too, like, is that if we say, yes, leaky gut is causing your migraines because it's so much more complex, that tempts people into going, oh, well, then I just need such and such shake from so-and-so MLM that will fix my leaky, leaky gut. <laughs> and we like to be like a simple, a simple question that has a simple answer, but it's so much more complex, right? Right. So I'm glad you brought this this back up, right? Because again, we are in the mindset of I have this thing wrong with me, so I'm going to take this other thing for it. And so now, like I say, in the past 15, 20 years, where this leaky gut syndrome, if you will, if you want to call it that, has kind of come to the forefront. Oh, yeah, well, here come the products. Here come the natural supplement products for it. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it kind of rivals migraines for supplements at this point. You're right. So again, so what they do, now you're going to get me on another soapbox with these leaky Sorry. gut supplements. <laughs> now I got to think about how I'm going to word this. <laughs> so what they do is with these leaky gut supplements. So like one thing that's really common in these leaky gut supplements is glutamine because glutamine is a nutrient that the cells of the small intestine use. Well, gee, I wonder what other nutrients they use. <laughs> they don't just run on glutamine. Okay. But again, this is sort of the like reductionist thinking that is very prominent in medicine and it infects alternative medicine as well. Okay. So they have identified over 4,000 nutrients in the food that we eat. You can't put that in a powder. You can't put that in a capsule. And we, I have no doubt that we have more biochemistry yet to discover. So focusing on like one, here's the one miracle gut nutrient, glutamine or medium chain triglycerides. That's another one. Like, yes, the digestive tract uses those nutrients. But what about the other 3,998? Plus, so, and then also, okay, so I'm going to take a leaky gut powder. Usually they will come in a powder, these uh, formulas. Okay, well, what about the second and the third principles? What about all that toxic bile that's bathing my small intestine all the time? What about the fact that I don't have enough voltage or vitality in those cells? You can't put that in a powder. I wouldn't even know what to put in. <laughs> Where would you even start? Like... Well, again, this is this is why I went to naturopathic medical school at personal sacrifice because it is that complicated. So yeah, this has become, I'm glad you mentioned this because this has become kind of one of those buzzwords and then oh, okay, we've got a buzzword. Let's put together a supplement formula for it. But you cannot work on all three of these principles with a supplement. It's not going to do it. And so, I think also like I think to that point too is just that like I was saying we want a simple answer. So is a, is leaky gut causing my migraines? Yes or no. And if we, we get a yes, then we want, oh, then I just need to eat X, Y, and Z and it will be okay. Or a supplement and it will be okay. But if you're not addressing those other issues, you're only hitting one of the three factors and you're, you're kind of just delaying the symptoms rather than fixing. Well, yeah, you're not, you have to work on all three of these principles at once in the right way. And so supplements are going to work primarily, I mean, it's, they're nutrient supplements, right? So it's good, that is centered within that first principle. But like we've talked about on other podcasts, if I have poor digestive function and I take a supplement, a nutrient supplement, I'm not going to break that down either. That's not going <laughs> to, that's not going to go anywhere either. So, you know, when I work with clients, many clients that I have have already had this testing done and that's fine, but I don't run the tests. I was trained to run the tests. I'm fortunate that I was trained on how to interpret them properly. 
but I don't run the tests anymore because people's symptoms will tell me whether or not they have an issue. And the other thing that I do differently too, is I have found that I don't need to have people stop eating the foods. So the standard advice is, well, you have to stop eating the foods that come back on the food sensitivity test until we restore the digestive tract. And I have not found that to be necessary because again, if we're cutting food out of our diet, we're cutting nutrients out of our diet. And so I have found that to be counterproductive. And so what I focus on is much more basic. Okay, what is preventing the digestive tract from functioning properly? Let's address that. And that can be something that might be on the mental and emotional side. You know, you can't address that with a capsule, a supplement capsule, and there's no test for something that is starting on the mental and emotional side that is addressing that is harming our physical digestion or hampering our physical digestion. Can you give us an example? Because I know for me, like I'm trying to make a connection between the mental and emotional and leaky gut. Can you give us an example of what that might look like just so we can kind of make connect those dots? Sure. So a lot of people have had a childhood where there is trauma around eating. So um, maybe there was a lot of fighting in the home around mealtime. Maybe there was a lot of shaming at mealtime. Maybe the parents were not able to provide uh, regular meals because of their own mental and emotional challenges. Okay. You know, you, I mean, there could be any number of things. So could that, I mean, would it be reasonable to to think that a child that was raised in that type of an environment, like let's say that, you know, every, you know, in the family, I'm kind of trying to come up with an example from several different patients to try to give one uh, theoretical example. So let's, you know, if somebody were shamed a lot at the meal table, you know, you never like the food I make. Oh, you're such a picky eater. Starving children across the world. Yeah. How can you not eat your food when there's starving children? You know, just a lot of shame and stress at mealtime. Well, would it would it be reasonable for, for that person as an adult to avoid eating, avoid actually sitting down? And eh, you know what? I'm just going to eat this on the run. You know, uh, I'm not that hungry. You know, I, I don't need to eat right now. Or maybe they don't like to eat enough. Maybe they wouldn't feel uncomfortable. Gee, you know, I don't like to eat in front of other people. I feel anxious. Well, gee, I wonder why. But unfortunately, you know, by the time we're an adult, we aren't consciously aware of why we feel anxious at mealtime. It's just something, yeah, you know what? I just, I don't know. My stomach's always upset because a lot of people, again, gut brain connection. They feel, we feel anxiety in the stomach. Most of us, right? We feel that butterflies, right? So, you know, somebody can have that experience as a child have this laid down on the unconscious level. And then as an adult, having disrupted mealtimes, having difficulty making good choices that, you know, making the best choices. Oh, you know, I'm always trying to eat healthy, but something always happens where I sabotage myself, you know, like, huh, how's that? How's that happening? Right? We have self-sabotaging behavior. We have just poor habits at mealtime, etc. And we kind of know when we have bad mealtime habits, but what's driving us? to do those bad habits? That's the real question. So that can be, that would be something that is starting on the mental and emotional side of us that is having a physical impact on our digestive tract's ability to break the food down. That makes sense. So you're not going to get that in an MLM glutamine powder product. And I was just going to say, especially if there's trauma around what you, you've eaten or how you've eaten or whatever in the past, that gives you the cortisol and all of those extra hormones, right? So, of course, that's going to be going through your body at mealtime. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So again, when I'm working with my clients, I'm looking for all of these things. I'm pulling in my knowledge of the physiology of the digestive tract, my knowledge and understanding and experience of how things on the mental and emotional side can impact our digestive tract, right? So it's not like I'm just saying, here's a handout, eat like this, and here's some glutamine powder. It's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. But this is what practitioners in the natural medicine space are doing. And people are getting fed up with the natural medicine space because people aren't feeling better. And I just want to say like one thing I love about how you do things, Leslie, is that 
it isn't just a one size fits all cookie cutter mentality. Like you're really looking at people on an individual level and figuring out what's going on with that person, which is so hard to find in this world. Like, well, and like I say, these three principles, they are universal. They are universal for everyone. But like you say, how are we going to crack the code for you? That's going to be totally unique to you. So have we covered it, Mary? What do you think? I think we cracked open a huge can of worms that could be delved into for a lot longer. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) I know you and I both have other things to do today. So I'm probably our listeners too. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we were able to touch on this. We've had this on the podcast idea list for a while because it keeps coming up. And you know, I, I can really get on my soapbox over this issue for sure. So I'm glad we were able to get to it today. Yeah, it's a good topic for sure. Well, wonderful. And to all of you listening, thank you so much for listening. And before you go, be sure to like this episode and subscribe to this podcast. Do you have someone in your life who would benefit from what we talked about today? If so, please share on your social media. And if you want to stay connected, join my free Facebook group with over 12,000 women who are rediscovering a migraine-free life. Go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar ND on Facebook or healingmigrainesnaturally.com and we'll redirect you to Facebook. Well, wonderful, Mary. Yeah, thanks great. again. Okay, we'll see you next time. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening. Before you go, be sure to like this episode and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and other popular podcast platforms. Do you have someone in your life who would benefit from what we talked about today? Please share it with them. Share on your social media. Share within other migraine Facebook groups that you are in. We really want to get the word out that you can recover your health and stop getting chronic migraines. And if you want to stay connected, join my free migraine Facebook group with over 11,000 women who are rediscovering a migraine-free life. Go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, ND, on Facebook or to healingmigrainesnaturally.com and we'll redirect you to the Facebook group. 